So how are, how are, how are you doing? What's going on with you? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm good. You know, this coding final has been killing me and eating yeah. up all my time because I'm like, this one question is wrong. I'm like, how do you fix it? And, it was, and he goes, oh, it's really quite simple. But n- now that you fixed this question, all the other questions are wrong. And I'm not really going to give you a big, uh, <laughs> a, a, a clear answer on how to fix those other questions. Because coding's a lot like Jenga. If you pull yeah, one out, everything sense. else yeah. falls. My uh, my roommate is like a computer science guy. Um, and he's been working on his like capstone stuff like all week. And I do not envy him. <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah, it seems exhausting. I, I'm... No, I mean, I'm not taking it out of my own volition. It's a required course for you, Mitch, which is... Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's bullshit, yeah. though. Because I'm humanities, <laughs> so like I'm never going to touch this stuff. But right, treating me yeah. like I'm a coal miner. Jesus. <laughs> why, should they, why can't they just learn to code? Yeah, everyone should learn to code. It's easy. It's... Oh, yeah. Oh, it's e- that's the biggest lie. All right. I know, the greatest, right? <laughs> the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was uh, convincing the world that coding was easy. <laughs> Any listeners out there, it's not easy. Don't do it. Don't, Don't do it. it. It's a lie. It is so funny that there's like a good chunk of like, I don't know, libertarian thought leaders or whatever that think genuinely, you know, out of work, like coal miners should just learn to code. And like, it, that's a thing that they could do. And it'll just be good. Well, yeah, it's, it's so simple, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you spent your whole life on this one trade, but... Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that will not backfire at all. No, not at all. <laughs> We're not totally <laughs> fucked. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I feel really bad about that stuff. And like, you know, Appalachia would be a prime place to actually like implement like renewables, like wind energy and stuff like that. And then you could well, easily they could just make all that... load a code, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Appalachia is the next Silicon Valley. We all know this. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're all just going to be playing like banjos while their computers boot up. And okay, now that's actually oh, kind of seeming cool. Yeah, <laughs> now you're <laughs> oh, no! selling me on the idea. <laughs> oh no, Silicon it, Appalachia. <laughs> this sounds this sounds like a JD Vance like bit, like where he's like yeah, just telling everyone to like learn to code in Appalachia. I don't know. No, oh, no, that's definitely like that's very much Vanceism. I I always forget about Vance, and then he'll show up in my feed, and I'm like, oh yeah, you're still doing that, I guess. He's like, <laughs> like a this little grift bug just man. keeps working. I know. It's like we try to spray him with Formula 409, and he keeps coming back. <laughs> he just keeps coming back. Yeah, like you. Yeah, you behead him, and like a Hydra, like <laughs> yeah, a couple of heads return. Yeah, he's he's terrible. I uh, I read hillbilly elegy for like a class in college when it like first came out and and like i remember the the initial first few chapters i didn't really get the right wing vibe so it's kind of like i don't know why everyone's like shitting on this and then like a couple chapters in he talks about meeting his future wife and he describes her as as a heroine from an ayn rand novel and i was like oh Oh, there it is (laughs) (laughs) that adds up yeah oh good lord good lord (laughs) I can't. I can't express how genuinely offended I would be if, like, my romantic partner was like, "Yeah, you're you're kind of like an Ayn Rand character." Oh man! <laughs> I if anybody told me that, I would like <laughs> throw myself into a volcano. Uh, yeah, if anything, I've straight up used that to be an insult to like people before. I've been like, "You are like an Ayn Rand character." <laughs> like, fuck you. <laughs> 
<laughs> you uh, are narcissistic, con- yeah, con- convinced that your your one idea will save the world. Ayn Rand was really a piece of work, I gotta say. I, I feel like at some point I should read Atlas Shrugged, just like, I don't oh, know, no. maybe as a, a really long form of self-harm, I don't know. But I feel like for the culture, cultural understanding, I should probably mm-hmm. read it at some point. I mean, the most contra. Do you want to hear the most controversial book I've read? I haven't read. Sure. I didn't read it all the way through because I was like too disgusted to finish it. Because that what? is a habit that Finch has. But uh, <laughs> I did read part of the Turner Diaries, and um, oh, yeah, that was that's a icky. hard thing. Yeah, it was so hard to get through. I just I was like I can't do this anymore. But it was sort of I, I forget why exactly. It wasn't for fun. I I know that. <laughs> Right. That's always how it happens. It's It was, yeah. It was more like, a, I think, a trying to under- deepen my understanding of, like, white supremacist thought and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, why yeah. Mike, M- McVeigh might have been, like, motivated through it. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I, have a, I have a copy of uh, The Fourth Turning by Strauss, like, sitting mm-hmm. on a shelf. And one day I'm going to read it to deepen my understanding of right-wing thought, but I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, no. It's not like something you want to, you know, you want to look into. It's kind of like Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like going to Chernobyl. Like you feel the radiation <laughs> in your mitochondria, Jesus. You know? No, I uh when I was doing my research for Haiti, I, you know, I was like doing the historiography, like reviewing all the literature on it. And mm-hmm. the first history of hate of the Haitian Revolution uh that was ever written was written by a white supremacist. So I had to like wow. read through parts of it. And it was some of the most despicable writing I've ever read. Like, I can't I imagine. Yeah, it, it's one of those. It's very unapologetic. You know, like I got it, and I was like, oh, I, you know, I know the guy who wrote this was in the KKK and stuff, so I'm like, I'm prepared for some racism. But then, like, the first page is just like the Haitian Revolution is the best example of looking at how you know how race wars like work <gasps> in the real world. I'm like, oh Jesus, oh, like your man. your methodology is racist, not just wow. <laughs> What an absolute wow. Yeah, terrible. That whoever wrote that is in hell, probably. Yeah. Yeah, Lothrop Stoddard is such a contemptible little shit. He's... Sounds like sounds like a little goblin. <laughs> Actually, he got if I remember right, he got like owned by Du Bois. Uh I like Du, du Bois like completely invalidated him and made him a laughing stop in mm-hmm. his time, so Oh well that that's happened. good. Du Bois was I mean, he was incredibly intelligent, and I love his writing, so. Yes, Stoddard, Stoddard was like, you know when people talk about how the Nazi government was influenced by American thought? Right. Stoddard was one of those people. Of course like, he, he was. He actually introduced like the, the Untermensch concept into Nazism. Wow. So anyway, yeah. But I didn't know all that when I bought the book. I was just like, oh, first history of Haiti, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ! That would have that must have been a rude awakening. It was oh, not Lord. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, on that note, we should uh, we should I probably formally introduce the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Welcome to Very Legal, Very Cool, uh, a, a podcast about reading racist stuff ironically. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with you.
welcome everyone to Very Legal, Very Cool. Today I am joined by Finch, uh, my my fellow co-host from Mammonburg. Uh, hello, Finch. Hello, hello, um, everyone. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about vampires and zombies today because that just sounds fun. Uh, and as both of us are like finishing up finals and stuff, it seemed like a good idea to do a, a fun topic while we were like brain dead. Woo! I'm excited. I'm excited. I am too. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Do you want to do like an elevator pitch, like introduction? Who are you? I guess I probably should do something um, like that. Sure, sure. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Finch uh, from the Mammonberg podcast uh, on Twitter at Finchawar. I am a Christian socialist who runs another podcast with uh, Josiah and two other lovely gentlemen. Hmm. So. Hell I'm yeah. also a gothic horror aficionado, which is why I'm here today. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the also the, the only Catholic on Mammoth. Oh yeah. So the only... that, that's probably important. <laughs> the only the only Catholic and the only woman. <laughs> that's also true. Oh man. It's so funny though. Um when we started Mammonberg, I, I was laughing so hard at the fact that the hosts themselves uh was more diverse than like the majority of VLPC. <laughs> Because <laughs> we had a bad habit, we continue to have a bad habit of being two white guys that bring white guys on. No. <laughs> uh, we got to work on it. Well, I mean, like, you know, it's a bit of a struggle getting, like, people's schedules, like, coordinated, yeah. like, you and I. Like, you're, you remember I was me- I messaged you, like, two weeks ago. I was like, Josiah, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> this no, essay is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so amazed that we uh we pulled off that that Mammonberg episode we recorded recently that's probably not gonna be out for weeks anyway. Uh but with Michael, with the three time yeah. zones we were doing, I'm really impressed with us. <laughs> I know, and it was a good episode too. <laughs> I think so, yeah. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And I cannot wait yeah. for that to come out because I think it'll uh shock and amaze people. So <laughs> shock and amaze. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, <laughs> dead body story. And I mean, that's part of the gothic theme of uh, this God, episode. Yeah, I know. So. Honestly, like the uh, the kicks that you go on on Mammonberg would make would all make really good VLVC uh, episodes because that's like kind of the more the format of like weird story. Um, mm-hmm. And so I honestly, I probably should bring you back on more because you have these like you have good episode topics. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'd love fun. to be back on. Oh, yeah. Uh, but right. today, of course, we're talking about vampires and zombies. So, uh, oh yes, yeah. Why don't Why don't you get uh, get started on vampire stuff here? Like, what What What? <laughs> tell me about them. <laughs> vampires. I mean, you know, what's What's not to like? Except, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unholy beings that mm-hmm. um, that dr- drain uh, the peasant working class and are afraid of sunlight and holy objects. Right, right. But enough about CEOs. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> I was, no, roll with it. It was great. <laughs> Power through. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, vampires have just like captivated people for centuries. I think you mm-hmm. know just because of what they are, and they you know they originally started in as folklore in Eastern Europe. You know. But I mean, like, right. they're sort of all over because you have North American, Chinese folklore, or like not really mm. 
vampires in like the traditional sense, but like vampire like like creatures, you know what I mean? Mm. Like right. the uh, Patasola of Colombia or the Mapuche of southern Chile. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, like, you know, there are there were also vampire panics uh, here in the United States. We actually had a huge vampire panic uh, in my home state of Connecticut at one point hmm. because of a, a tuberculosis uh, outbreak that, like, killed a ton of people. And, like, there was one family, I forget the name of it, but, like, a lot of them died within, I don't know, about eight years of each other or so. And so hmm. people of this town just completely freaked out about it because it was like the father and then the elder brother and then the other the younger brother and they were like oh well the elder brother is uh, obviously the older brother is coming out of his grave and like making everybody else and sick eat, eating them yeah that makes yeah, sense eating them yeah i think that adds up I don't... <laughs> mm-hmm. you know my favorite vampire story uh, actually What's happened that? in scotland so apparently like in glasgow there was um, a rumor that went around of this vampire, vampire-like creature that had iron teeth that had apparently, like, killed two schoolchildren. And, mm-hmm. a, and this, had beco- this became, like, a widespread rumor that was, like, circulating around a certain primary school or something like that. And, mm-hmm. like, the students got so hysterical that... And I, I need you to imagine this. 200, like, preteen children, Okay. Okay. That arm themselves with like clubs and have dogs and knives and stuff like that. All right, oh so you have that God. in your head. Uh-huh. Now they go to this very old like Victorian or maybe it was older cemetery, and they start. Mm. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not making this up. They start doing full scale human wave attacks upon upon this graveyard because they were like. They oh think that. <laughs> so the, what they would do is that, like, one of these kids would be like, "Holy shit! There, there it is! There's the vampire!" And then, like, these kids would start doing human wave attacks in the direction where the vampire was supposedly seen, with their dogs oh and their God. clubs and their knives. And like, the police came in, and like, they had to like, they spent like a couple hours like trying very hard to break it up. God, that's insane. <laughs> I guess that I didn't know a lot about the like a lot about these like vampire panics. Where uh, do you know like when when time period wise vampires kind of originate as folklore? Um, I mean, they've been. Um, let me see. I think medieval times in um, mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, right? Okay. Like in the, I, mean, I, I can't give you a, a date because I don't know that much about it, but I do know that in Western Europe it started becoming a thing. Like I believe the 1700s. Like, it was Mm. brought over from Eastern Europe into Western Europe, and everybody's like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, and it's got probably, like, an element of, like, the exotic coming from, like, the Eastern European, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have, like, Lord Byron's The Vampire, which was... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the basis for, uh, you know, Dracula, basically. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, like, you know, Dracula's also very interesting... I mean, Stoker is very interesting. And, like, I was actually listening to that audio uh, audiobook on the drive home. It's mm-hmm. very interesting how Stoker wrote that book, because it's very much a slow burn. Sort of, it's sort of in its own way the first kind of found footage format. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's written in a series of diaries and letters. Oh, so, okay, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're sort of figuring out what's going on along with the characters. 
That's which really is very cool. interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting way he wrote it. Yeah, that's pretty rare for the time, isn't it? Like, I can't really think of any gothic horror um, novels yeah. that have that format. Yeah, <laughs> that no, that was like it was it was very revolutionary. I'm looking up when when vampire <laughs> vampires uh, invented. Yes, I was right. Late seventeenth, eighteenth centuries, uh, they came over from western to Western Europe. So I think they were there a lot longer. And like, yeah. there are many different well, types of vampires in Eastern Europe as well. Because you got the traditional kind, but then you have like stuff like Stregoi, which is like even like more corpse-like and yeah. evil. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's always what's interesting about um, about like these kind of mon- monsters that we've built up in in our culture over time is they take on like aspects they build it up over time. Like mm-hmm. if you watch the first like zombie film, uh, White Zombie, uh, it it does not nothing about it resembles zombie films now, like remotely. Right. Because it picks up the stuff over time. And that's kind of, the, it seems like that's the same with vampires. Yeah, it really is. It's just, it's it's really interesting. But I think, like, we're also really blessed that we have all these types of vampires. Because, like, if we want to write our own gothic fic- uh, fiction, we can have, like, all these different species of vampires from all these yeah. places. I'm going on a tangent here, but I think that that's, like, a bit of a golden that's opportunity cool. for future yeah. gothic horror writers so take notes we need more gothic horror i think yeah we do we need a gothic horror revival to be honest with you i think so like neo-gothic kind of yeah that'd be cool we need a revival of southern gothic northern gothic Mm. western gothic which is another interesting thing um Yeah. yeah also just the way like you can kill vampires is just really interesting like like i'm not sure if this was a stoker invention but like the idea of like being able to like you know if you suspect a vampire is like sleeping in a coffin you can place like a certain rose on the coffin to like Mm. keep them keep it shut and keep them trapped in there i thought that was really interesting that's really interesting i there's something really distinctly like uh like catholic about uh vampires to me not not vampires but like the mythology that builds up around them because it's a lot of like I don't know, um, you know, being repelled by a crucifix and there's like an, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, uh, like, like monsters, like, like witches associated with Protestantism have like such a different feel and like how you fight them as like vampires. I don't know. There's something like deeply, like more like ritualistically, Catholicly, like, I don't Mm. know. Yeah. Very mystical too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really cool. It's, It's interesting that like, you know, Stoker who was. I believe a Presbyterian really tapped oh, really? into. Yeah, I believe mm. he he start. I I don't think he converted. I believe he stayed a Presbyterian all his life. But he was like, wow. Yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna make the the vampire the main vampire hunter here Catholic, and he's gonna use Catholic means of disposing of Dracula, mm. and it's gonna work. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, mm. he was from Ireland, so I'm sure he had like pretty extensive knowledge of Catholicism, since that was so dominant in that country. Right. Well, it's just like all around him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think, yeah, especially if you're going to write folklore, you're going to pull from kind of the the folk traditions surrounding you. I wonder what like <laughs> I wonder what a Presbyterian method of dealing with vampires would be. Would it just be like the same <laughs> thing as exorcism, where they're like. Where they're like, oh well, there's a there's a demon in this, so we better call the uh, the Catholic Church down the road. <laughs> yeah, I don't think what yeah, what does a Presbyterian vampire look like? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You I mean, just kind wearing of judge a sweater it. vest. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, wearing a sweater. Yeah, that's good. Does he like play croquet at night, maybe? <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. He seems to hate women a little more than the average one. got a lot of perspectives on him. So kind of, like, I kind of like want to get into your readings because that's that's always what you really get into. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, like you know, it's, all, it's more of I haven't really been able to source it from a lot of academic papers myself, myself. But like, just the 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 lore I've written and read, and you know, like some of the video essays I've seen about it, I, I do think there is very you know, people are sort of, I mean, some people are sort of like, you know, vampires are kind of a tired subject, you know, what more can you do with them, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, look at what Twilight did to vampires as a, you know, a subject. <laughs> they, yeah, killed it. <laughs> yeah, they kind of killed, they kind of killed the sexy vampire trope, which is like both a blessing and a curse. It's yeah. a curse because, like, people now kind of just see vampires as, like, a joke because now you're thinking of, like, oh, Mormon sparkliness, you know? And just, like... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Bad writing and hunky boys and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think that, like, the abysmal state in which, like, popular culture now views vampires could mm. actually really be a golden opportunity for, like, writers to, like, turn it around. But, like, the... Or turn the perception of them around, but in mm-hmm. the way they have to do that is make vampires scary again. And mm. I mean, honestly, that's pretty easy, which I will go into now. Uh, <laughs> um, there are like plenty, plenty of academic papers of like you know talking about looking through because uh, vampires very much represent cultural fears. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in the medieval times, they represented plague. In the Victorian times, they were sort of a fear of, like, you know, eroticism, sexual liberation. Right, you know. right. Yeah. Because, you know, in Victorian times, everybody was pretty repressed most of the time. Um, but I have not really seen a lot of paper writing about cl- looking through vampires through the lens of class. Which I think is a shame because I think there's a lot of untapped potential there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because, <clears throat> Oh, go ahead. No, I mean, I was going to say, cause of the, the sexuality kind of approach, which I feel like that's kind of the phase we're still stuck in, you mm-hmm. know, that it like represents sex in some way is just really, um, I don't know in a, in a culture as inundated with sex as ours is, it's like, you know, it's not, not really going to scare anyone with the concept of uh, a guy that, that has sex. Right. <laughs> like, that's not very scary. But um, I don't know. I think the class thing kind of is an interesting turn on it. But also it kind of means like you, you have uh, less sympathy 
for them because I think that's that's like most of the academic writing I ever see about vampires anymore is they really they have really sympathetic readings like sympathetic to the vampire because right, it's absolutely. you know it, it represents queerness or right. whatever as you're about to frame vampires as a scary monster <laughs> yeah exactly as they because be. <laughs> yes well that's the thing is like vampires frame in the modern age frame through like sexuality queerness enlightenment they they can't really be anything else but you know the sympathetic character you know what mm-hmm. i mean right because we're just so used to and i mean like it's it's not a bad thing definitely but we're, we are you know it's something we're used to it's not something that the culture is afraid of anymore mm-hmm. so we have we- if we want to make vampires scary again we have to reshift the focus of what they are and when you look at them through the class lens you can't mm. really find that sexiness anymore. You can't really find that sympathy anymore because they are just, you know, the default is they are inherently repulsive. Mm. And the reason this is, is, you know, I, I, uh, I remember this quote from Nina Arbach uh, from Our Vampires Ourselves, which is something I, I've been meaning to look over. But she says something very interesting in that, which is in, in, uh, vampires go where power resides and Mm. where does power reside mostly in society among the wealthy among the ruling class and we've seen this so often in media i mean look at count dracula look at like even the vampires in underworld those are very much represented as these high class aristocratic beings you Mm. know uh you know they have the fancy dresses and um you know they live in the big castles, and they f- and, and in Dracula's case, they feed off the innocent. They feed off people that will not be missed. Mm. And like Stoker makes a point of like having Dracula kidnap a bunch of peasant children, and like even there's and, and the way he is able to dis- like my reading of it was that he does not really consider those you know poor. Romanian peasants as people because he can dispose of them so easily like uh he does not feel any empathy for this peasant woman who goes running after her child crying he just calls wolves on her and they rip her to pieces right and I mean like Hmm. you can really you know parallel that to the callousness in which the ruling class treats the working class Mm -hmm. because the the ruling class really only values the working class and how they can exploit them like vampires do with these you know powerless humans right i mean vampires in a class lens just they are creatures that constantly take and they are really characterized really pretty much characterized by decadence Hmm. you know they feed they feed off the blood of you know these innocent people to keep themselves you know young and vital and virulent, uh, <laughs> maybe I don't know, mm. uh, but strong enough so they can kill again. So yeah, and I, I mean, you can really just draw a parallel to capitalism. It's the same thing, you know. These uh, elite ruling class individuals that just keep parasiting off of society and getting richer and richer, and not mm. giving a shit if like the poor are crushed under them. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know, like, cause, so is there really, like, an example of, like, 
uh, novel or show or movie or whatever that that kind of has like a class reading type vampire? Or is this kind of a thing that you're uh, explaining right now because you want someone to write it? I feel like there are because I don't, I don't want to say no because I th- feel like there probably sure. is. Yeah. But I would certainly like to see more of it, and I'd certainly like to see it come back into like mainstream if that was yeah. the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is this is a this is an episode about making vampires scary again. I like that idea of like trying to make monsters scary again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think our society needs to be afraid sometimes. You know keep fear alive or whatever well, <laughs> that sounds so yeah. psychopathic it, a little bit but like i feel like hor- horror as a genre is a is i don't know a really fascinating way of exploring what you deem to be evil right because right. you know i don't know well i would like really like to see one um vampires being represented as the ruling class what i'd also really like to see is like not just having, like, the traditional vampire hunters going after them, you know, one at a time or, mm. or, like, something like that. What I would really like to see is maybe a vampire hunter that's more working class that has gotten so much taken away from them or something like that to, and I'm sure somebody's written this somewhere, to rally, like, the townsfolk up, basically. You know, arm the proletariat and go after yeah. a vampire that's uh, terrorizing them. That'd be cool. Like, almost like a really democratic style. Like, I mean, if you, okay, the communist vampire movie, right, would be right. like, right, like, it's, you got the vampire hunter, but he gets, like, the whole town to, like, kind of rise up to go out and, like, kill the vampire that's terrorizing them. I love that. Like, it's like a proletarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I just think that'd be really cool. And then it'd also be, like, sort of, like, I don't know, empowering in the way that, like, common... Yes, this monster seems unkillable and unbeatable, but common mm. people, when they stick together, can defeat it. Can defeat it. I, there's yeah. kind of a, I, I mean, there's exceptions to this, I'm sure, but I feel like in, in film or whatever, I think that there's been kind of a kick ever since, like, you know, books like 1984 or whatever to constantly make collectivism um, scary. Like mm-hmm. it always, collectivism always looks scary in a show because it looks like totalitarianism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if there's enough like communitarian films, you know, where it's like, I don't know, like, like this whole idea of the mob rising up and killing the vampire. Like there's an element of that, that you could read that as like, you know, in the like queerness reading, it's like, oh, it's the outcast that's being attacked by, uh, you know, the collective or being rejected by the collective. Um, right. But on the other hand, I feel like if you do frame it right, it can be, you know, very much the opposite where it's like, well, this is, you know, the, the people kind of uniting to fight to, you know, fight an evil. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Yeah, that's definitely. And like, that's also something that like a writer would have to consider is like, you know, consider the queer reading of it. I think you'd have yes. to make very much um, the exploitation of these people very, you know, not subtle. You'd have to really show that. Yes. So that, like, yeah. you don't mix the messages up. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, you could end up having a pretty, yeah, reactionary reading by accident. But, um, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, I'm trying to think of, there's in, like, ver- this isn't a vampire thing at all, but, um, you know, Watership Down, there's, like, one point where, the like, all the rabbits are in this, um, uh, like, village that they're comfortable in the village, but they have to accept that their comfort comes at the cost of, like, one of them dying all the time. Because they're like, I think it's like hawks or whatever that can get to them. Right. Uh, it's like a trade-off. 
I think that would be kind of an interesting format where it's like the the village had just accepted the vampires mm-hmm. in some sense. It's like, well, this is just how it is. You know, it's like, I guess we can be kind of comfortable or fine here. And occasionally, you know, one of our kids goes missing and that's the right. trade off. And then it's like, you know, the vampire hunter being like, no, that's that's not a good trade off. Like, if we unite, <laughs> we could have a world without vampires. Right. <laughs> God, I'm loving this already. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a good story. Oh, same. Yeah. You know what also be an interesting concept is like vampires through a class lens in like war. And I'm not talking Ooh. about like traditional war. Like, you know, because like that's happened. Like people have explored that before with like the traditional, you know, honorable war with like two armies mm-hmm. crashing into each other. And um, mm-hmm. what I want to see, and I, I think that there was a video game that briefly touched on it. I think it was called Vampire. But that was more in the aftermath of World War One. I. I would really mm-hmm. like to see like World War One going on and then you have these creatures of the night seeing opportunity and like this total war happening. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, that's really good. Like or or even that the war itself was caused by vampires. Like right. in the long run, like like, you know, there's all this, like, rhetoric about patriotism or whatever, but when you get to the top, it's just, like, vampires fighting it out, trying to eat each other. <laughs> exactly. And I they want to keep it going. Yeah, and they want to keep it going as uh, for as long as they can, because right. uh, more bodies, more blood. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to write this. <laughs> yes. I this I love the I love uh coming up with ideas for things and then not writing them. Oh, same, same. <laughs> That's yeah. so awesome. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe someday when we maybe someday have, <laughs> when we when we're getting six figures from our podcasts. Right. Yeah. Once <laughs> when Mavenberg and VLVC really take off, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we can write all we want. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, but I guess I could I could talk a bit about zombies, and then I'm sure we'll go back to vampires because it'll bring some stuff up or whatever. All right. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So so uh, zombies kind of like I, I didn't expect myself to get really interested in zombies this semester like at all. Um. Like they're fine, but it you know I was I was studying the history of Haiti, and then I was. Like, on the other hand, on this kick with my roommates of just watching, like, 50s and earlier, like, monster movies. Like, we were watching a bunch of Jack Arnold movies. Right. Um, it was awesome. And my roommate got a hold of White Zombie. Um, and that's, like, the first zombie movie. Um, you know, it's, it's like, 1932, so it's a silent film. And it just straight up opens by saying, like, well, this is, this is set in Haiti. Um, which is really odd, because uh, the... the uh, an essay I was reading about zombies before the show, you know, commented how weird that was at the time. Cause a lot of the horror that was coming out in the thirties would try to be occurring in some mythical place beyond history. You know, it wouldn't like identify itself with a location, but for the sake of like zombies and the horror surrounding zombies, like bringing Haiti to mind was really, really important. Um, and so the whole essay was that essay was kind of arguing that it, it it's a colonial metaphor in a lot of ways. <laughs> So the the like idea of zombies, at least as it's like kind of come out 
comes out of Haiti um, and it got into American uh, like pop culture because of the occupation of Haiti that the U.S. did between 1915 and 1930. I'm blanking on the date they left, but yeah, yeah, between, you know, between the, you know, around World War One into the 30s. Um, right. And there was like mass protests against it. Everyone hated uh, it, it was the Vietnam before Vietnam is kind of how, you know, it's usually framed. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really bad, really bad occupation. And came, coming out of that uh, time was like this interest in Haitian folk folklore and stuff like that, because people were just more interested in Haiti because they were like, oh, what is this country we're occupying? And so a lot of anthropologists went over to Haiti during the occupation to write like ethnographies. Um, and one of one of them that's like really great is like Zora Neale Hurston, like when and that, that one's awesome. Like it's a pretty good ethnography. Uh, a really terrible one <laughs> was William Seabrook. Mm. Uh, right. the magic island which is like come to be it was basically the thing that birthed the zombie genre because there's a chapter in it about zombies um and he so he was like an occultist and i mean side note william seabrook oh, is a no. piece of shit william seabrook's oh, no. a piece of shit because he's he's like trying to reject christianity or whatever so he's going to all these what he feel like felt were like pre-christian civilizations like he went to when he has another book where he goes to africa he's like an adventurer who wanted to mm. learn about the strange and exotic practices of native peoples and then try to like steal it and turn it into his own religious practice right and it was always really like exoticizing and like fetishizing it you know yeah like he wanted to shock his audience he wanted to be like oh you know uh in in africa i saw them uh, eat a man they cannibalized the man and it was good that that happened to kind of like oh scare his white american audience you know like it's i mean the guy seems like a complete scumbag i, I side note <laughs> it's pretty yeah. amazing how these like early 30s 20s 40s occultists all oh, very hard pivoted into fascism very quickly <laughs> yeah it's it's uh yeah. it's almost like it's not by accident or whatever oh yeah yeah I mean, like, it was a big part of Nazi I- I- ideology. It was, like, occult thought. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I, it's not something I would hold to, like, modern-day occultists. I, I know right. they're separate from it, but I, I don't know. It, a lot of the neo-pagan movement does need to come to grips with uh, yeah. a lot of its, like, origin in the, ni- in the 20th century was, was explicitly racist. Oh, you yeah. You know, it was explicitly like, oh, we're bringing back Norse paganism because... Um, you know, they believe society went downhill ever since that Jew religion, you know, took over. Oh, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's how it's seen. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That is. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, it, and of course, it's not all neo-pagans, but like, no, y- y- like, you got like, you know, these prominent, like, come on, Varg, <laughs> most infamous example. I mean, he's right. still on Twitter posting away there, but like, guy is still a Nazi. Still, mm-hmm. totally believes in that that rhetoric, you know, that the the scary Jewish religion came in and like just wrecked everything for everybody else. Yeah, that, that it's still kind of uh, pushed. Yeah, because uh, yeah. like Richard Spencer um, had that oh, yeah. thread recently about like what, yeah, about how how Christianity was was a religion made from uh, Judaism <laughs> trying to find victory and failure when their messiah got destroyed and you know it's like it's always explicitly anti-semitic when you get into this i to be clear again like we've said not this isn't all neo-pagans but a lot of that like early movement to revive Mm -hmm. this stuff had some pretty i mean it was happening in the 30s the the shit was happening in the 30s that was pretty damn gross 
Um, anyway, uh, so, so this, this journalist, I really like, uh, Amy Wilentz, uh, she's got this really great book about the, um, uh, Haiti in the eighties, um, called the rainy season. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's really great, but, uh, she talks in it about like, about where, uh, where the idea of zombies comes from. So, so a traditional zombie before it becomes what it is now is a corpse brought back to life by some sort of witch doctor. And then is able to be commanded around and it's controlled by the witch. Right. Um, the Haitian zombie is like, it's a, it's a really fascinating um, thing because it's it's a perfect kind of uniquely Haitian horror. Because, uh, you know, Haitian like folk religions like voodoo and stuff uh, before uh, before the revolution, before, you know, they, they were free. There was this this belief that, you know, slaves would kind of say like, OK, well, I'm, you know, I'm enslaved now, but I will die and my spirit will go back to Africa free. So right. a zombie is a horror reversal of that in a free society, uh, free like former slave colony where you die free, but then wake back up a slave. Oh, no, that's yeah. Sad. So that's where it comes that's from. grim. It is. It's, that's why it's so uniquely like horrifying. Although there's like a lot of weird reads on it, like like some voodoo uh, voodooisans like have a reading on uh, the story of Jesus being a zombie, um, which hmm. is a really weird reading of it. It's it's interesting though, and why they do that is because they do identify Jesus as the white god. The idea that it's like, oh, this was the white god, and his resurrection is actually a testament to black superiority, because the black voodooisans captured jesus <laughs> it's, it's really I mean, interesting like, i don't know yeah i mean like the 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 the, the, the hole in that is that jesus wasn't white but I yeah mean. i know but it's you know they, they've got this uh, uh catholic mm -hmm. imagery around them from french uh, colonization yeah, you know it's yeah no i i'm not i'm not saying this is not my reading on who jesus yeah. was it's just but i mean like that makes sense too because like you have right. like you know pictures of the white jesus so like obviously they'd make that assumption and like mm -hmm. i'm like the white man brought that god over so yeah yeah i mean that's why i don't um even as a christian i don't get super uncomfortable when i read about like the block um yeah. ceremony where they like are declaring war on the white god because i'm like yeah i i don't worship the god that the french did yeah. <laughs> like you know i don't i don't worship the white god there well, yeah that uh, makes sense <laughs> uh anyway so it, it's so interesting because yeah it, it comes from a uniquely colonial um you know a former colonial state when the u.s occupies haiti it's the return of colonialism in a lot of ways so it's kind of really gross mm -hmm. that zombies then start to make a bit like become a big thing in pop culture around this time because yeah. it's like you know colonizing this group and then taking their myth about how they process a colonial background and then like making it a fun cool thing but that's what william seabrook did Ooh, wow yeah so I, I i'm looking up white zombie right now and yeah. pretty interesting is that bello lugosi was also in this yeah you know, so the he, original dracula what's so weird about it yeah oh that's an interesting tie i didn't even think of yeah bello lugosi <laughs> plays the uh the witch doctor type the voodoo uh, you know, magician that is able to raise back uh, a corpse or capture somebody, capture, you know, make someone a zombie, which is really odd because he's, uh, he's white. They don't, you know, they don't even do the thirties blackface or anything like they keep yeah. him white. However, like the setting and the ambiance of the whole movie is still distinctly Haitian. Like there's a, a lot of blackface and a lot of Ooh. like, 
you know, they really try to frame this as like having ritual drums and trying to make this like exotic African kind of feel to the whole thing. So just because, right. so the Bella Lugosi thing is like su- such an odd detail to it. I think it's because they just wanted a star to be the villain. Um, right. And that was kind of the reasoning. But um, it's still pretty clear that the magic that Bella Lugosi is using is, is African. Like that's how it's right. getting framed. Yeah. Anyway, though, what's what's really odd about like the, the phrase white zombie should be a, a tip of the hat there to how zombies were getting perceived at the time. Because the central horror of white zombie isn't just a zombie. It's that this happened to a white woman. Right. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, because and it's got all the kind of sexuality side of things, too, because it's like Bella Lugosi's character is making uh, a man like this this guy's bride into his like, you know, kind of it's hinted at sexual slave. You know, she's like made into a zombie. Yeah, you don't. This is not the zombie you think of now right but this is the birth of the genre yeah because like i think like for for like the zombie we think of now a lot of the visceral visceral horror is what they look like because you know skulls and rotting corpses are very creepy you know because they have the Mm -hmm. hollow eyes and the eternal grin and you know they remind Mm -hmm. one of death but now you have this dead thing that's walking around and wants you dead as well yeah, like it's yeah, it's bringing you down with it. Yeah, because yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I, White Zombie is a really fascinating movie, but in 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 a sense, it's it's one of the least important zombie movies because although it's the first, you know, it, like zombies become what they are through like George Romero's uh, Night of the Living Dead and kind of onward. Um, in like the '60s, but I I feel like it doesn't like get acknowledged this this background to zombies as this like colonial metaphor. Um. Because I, I think maybe if you want to make zombies get scary again, if we're like doing this theme, I think maybe finding a way to bring back that colonial acknowledgement, but in like a decolonial way might be really interesting. I don't know. Right. Acknowledging the background. And I think honestly, like, you know, making it a metaphor for imperialism again will make it scary. It really could be like, I don't know. I, I'm trying to reimagine it in that light because, you know, as it currently exists, the colonial version of it is just so distinctly reactionary that I am struggling to think of how to reframe it in like a radical light. I mean, I'll kind of say like a lot of people write about zombies as like, you know, what they became after Romero. And, you know, as, as we think of it today, they became like a metaphor for like consumerism and like the mindless American public. Um, George Romero's came out in 1968. Night of the Living Dead came out in 1968, which is, I mean, the heat of the violence of the 60s, you know, like right. Romero said, he, you know, he, he didn't mean to make a political film. But it was just the violence around him uh, came out in the film. Like, you know, it's just a violent time. The 60s, Absolutely. So. Right. Like, so it became and, political, even if it wasn't. Yeah. And just like the idea of like, you know, how they shoot the protagonist anyway at the end. Yeah. It's a br- I mean, yeah, it's a brilliant, if depressing ending. Right. And especially it's, it's so odd. It wasn't intended to be a racial commentary. But the protagonist being black in the 60s was also, I think, really interesting. No, I totally agree with that. I think like you you find some very heavy racial under- and overtones mm-hmm. from the whole thing. Because like, also the zombies are majority white, if not all completely yeah, white. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, so so like one thing I, I was reading about today was that zombies have taken on 
kind of an in, like a different meaning as like academic film has kind of observed them going on because you know we they are identified with the public and then because of that they've eventually become kind of a metaphor for democracy it, because although they're supposed to be scary you find yourself identifying with the zombies more than um the heroes in some of romero's later movies because you know the heroes quote unquote are like you know vietnam era troops coming in and just endlessly gunning down uh zombies and in the process like killing civilians and stuff like you almost kind of identify with the zombies that are trying to destroy empire like through consumption consuming the empire i don't know yeah You, you know like I'm just thinking about all the potential that was lost in The Walking Dead because they like oh. fired that first that the first season's writer and yeah. like they had some really interesting ideas but like AMC has just been it like it is a notorious company for like cutting corners to save money yeah like notorious and I mean like I could also rant about what they did to Chandler Riggs who was Carl mm. uh that was when that show really went down was like when they fired Chan- Chandler Riggs because he turned 18 and they didn't want to pay him a full salary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fucked up show, man. Yeah. <laughs> like the kid literally, because I remember following this drama and I think that was when I actually stopped watching that show, was um, the kid like bought a house in Georgia because he was like one, and they were like saying, oh yeah, we're going to need you for, you know, as many seasons, because, like, you know... I think Andrew Lincoln was thinking of leaving, because he was sick of doing it, and he was sick of, like, playing the Southern man, the mm-hmm. Southern cop man for, like, ten years. He was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to yeah. branch out and do other things, because, like, everybody thinks I'm American now. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Norman Reedus is going to f- probably be on that until they finally cancel it, because he makes bank off of that, but... <laughs> <laughs> But the thing that was shocking to me that, like, Mm. from what I heard was the kid bought a house in Georgia because he was under the impression that he was going to be, like, you know, the heir apparent protagonist because they were going to, like, kill Rick off or something. And midway through the season, they were like, nope, you're actually, you're actually dead. We're gonna, we're gonna, (laughs) we're gonna kill you off because we don't want to pay you. We don't want to pay you the full salary. There's so, such weird politics behind that show. I I have a like weird confession is I've never watched uh, Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> it I know right. I, I, it seems like I I feel like I was right in choosing not to because uh, <laughs> everyone who tried yeah. to force me into watching it has just gone on to be like oh, I've become terrible like after a few seasons anyway. So yeah, it, yeah. it's weird though because I've seen the first two episodes of it like twenty times. Because what would always happen is like in high school or later, uh, people would be like, oh, you'll love Walking Dead. And I'll be like, I've seen the first two episodes. I just I, you know, haven't gotten around to watching the rest. I, I'm just not really wanting to watch this right now. And they'll be like, no, you'll love it. You'll love it. You just got to watch the first episode and you'll be hooked. And I'll be like, I've seen the first episode. Mm-hmm. And then they would just ignore me. And then I would be forced to watch the first episode with them. And this happened like 10 times. Oh, no. That's <laughs> so terrible. I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to actually watch the show because of that. Because <laughs> I've right. just seen the first two episodes like so many times. Right. To a point, it's it's become a bit among friends of mine. Because they'll like, whenever I'm over at their, their house or whatever, they'll like, you know, get out, load up Hulu or whatever and go to Walking Dead and being like, you just got to watch the first one, man. 
Yeah. Oh man, it'll be great this time. I'm sure. <laughs> this this time you'll love it. <laughs> yeah, twelve times a charm. You know, if you know what I mean. That's right. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, and it's it's just a shame too because I feel like that the, the first the the guy who wrote the first season who they booted because I think he wanted more of a pay. Um, mm-hmm. he had a lot of really good ideas. Like I remember he had like this uh pitch for like one of the armed guards who becomes a a zombie that I think Rick encounters and like it mm. was going to be like his journey into becoming a zombie basically yeah and then like it would end when he meets Rick which I thought yeah. wow that would have been a very interesting concept to do yeah that w- that would have been really interesting yeah yeah especially to kind of explore the psychology like a, of it or whatever yeah and like especially it being a soldier like that's that's an interesting commentary right there yeah but no, I agree know. that yeah course but of course they just have to go with whatever you know the easiest stuff to do (laughs) oh that's just amc (laughs) one thing that's kind of been interesting about me like going back and watching a lot of the older um zombie movies like the 60s 70s kind of stuff uh romero um and others i'm blanking on what the one i watched recently was um but it the the genre became a satire of itself like almost immediately and i that's like kind of such an interesting thing where i associate I, you know, I, when I think of zombie movies, I think of these like really serious and gory movies because um, of like Walking Dead or whatever. But as I've gone back, it's kind of like the reverse of other genres where it started out a satire and then more recently became a serious genre. But it was right. always kind of making fun of itself, which I think was why they're like, I don't know why I think it was able to get that cult following around those kinds of genres of movies. Um, I don't know. One of the most interesting. OK, the, the one I watched really recently that was like really odd um was return of the living dead from 1985 um which is completely unrelated to romero uh romero just never uh (laughs) copyrighted the phrase living dead so someone else just like made another living you know living dead movie um (laughs) which i love that uh it's uh dano dano bannon um but it's like it's so explicitly a satire of itself throughout it like it's so absurdly 80s like all the protagonists are like eight whatever like the 80s equivalent of alt kids they're all like punks and weirdos and they're like hanging out in a in a cemetery just to be cool and edgy and it's just got like the weird needless nudity like where there's just straight up like a three minute dance scene of a chick naked dancing on top of a grave for no reason literally serves no purpose um well this ain't your moments this (laughs) This yeah this is (laughs) yeah (laughs) this ain't your mama's zombie movie I don't. It's, it was just such an odd one, but they, this is the uh, movie where the whole uh, zombies eating brains um, comes from, where that like trope comes from, oh. and it's just and it's so odd because the whole brains thing came from satire. It came from making fun of the genre. I, I kind of love the zombies like as a genre's ability to like takes take ways people have made fun of the genre and add it to the canon. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you don't see that that much. I mean, like in vampire media, you Mm -hmm. see certainly serious things being added to satire. Like what we do in the shadows is like, you know, both the movie and the series, which are very... The series is great. It's so funny. Mm. But, you know, the way that they're able to use those vampire tropes... And yeah. like, especially putting like these ancient vampires in a modern Staten Island is yeah. very 
very well done. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I just like the deconstruction of the lore like that, definitely. And like, yeah. how, but that is also interesting as on the flip side, it seems like the zombie genre constructs the lore from being deconstructed. Yeah, because yeah. I, I um, uh, like as I was like reading earlier, they, they describe zombies as um, uh, like, like a postmodern um, entity. And it, it, that it, it really actually zombies don't really have any substance and that you're able to just kind of attach things to it. And I, I, that was kind of like an interesting read on it, because it seems like that is the case when I've like gone back and watched these movies that like there's something about a zombie that's like hard to define exactly what it is, because I can think of a zombie movie that doesn't include like any detail that you can come up with. But yet it's all kind of bound together. I don't know. It's odd. Yeah. Interesting, though. Very interesting. Well, um, maybe we should move toward kind of like going into end segments and wrapping up. But how about how about how do we make uh, zombie movies and vampire movies scary again? That mm-hmm. that's the that's the final question, right? Well, I think we we have to do what our uh, forefathers did and actually seriously make them um, reflect our cultural fears. We can't have sexy vampires mm. anymore. We can't have sexy yeah. zombies. We need to make these things repulsive again, Josiah. Yes. We do that through looking through the lens of capitalism and exploitation mm-hmm. and imperialism and blood yeah. sucking. The the colonial zombie, I think is the colonial is, zombie, yep, the capitalist the vampire. Capitalist, this is That's great. Yes. Because if you think about it, capitalism is just a giant vampire sucking the blood yeah. out of all of us. That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wanted to I, I think there I, I okay I'm interested to see in the next decade how much COVID has impacted the zombie genre. Yeah. Um. Part of it's because actually the whole like zombie being a uh, being a disease started to really come out in the 80s and later. Like it's a pre- it's kind of a recent addition. It kind of feels like. But now like with the with COVID, I feel like that's going to alter the genre somehow because we have like this I don't know thing we're all pulling from an experience of an epidemic. Um, I wanted to make like a zombie movie or story about like uh, as a metaphor for COVID where there's like a zombie outbreak and everybody's like freaked out and locking down and stuff like that. And then like a week in the government just tells everyone to go back to work just in the middle of a zombie outbreak. And I I think that would be a good movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that'd be a really good movie and then you have like these 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 uh these survivors that are like you know what if a, if a, if a zombie bites me you know it's my choice you know you're infringing on my freedom by saying that these zombies i want to I call uh, it like cannot the, the bite n- me <laughs> the the new normal i think would be the name yeah. of it or something like that. yeah yeah it's just yeah. like everybody's <laughs> like walking dead and like people are like with the empty like at atlanta and people are walking through like nature is healing <laughs> god that's great yeah <laughs> maybe oh, we're man. the real zombies <laughs> <laughs> whoa what is- just imagine like like rick rick grimes coming out and he's like you know there are no races anymore it's just us and the covid 19 <laughs> <laughs> that's great see that's good we should write this we should write this yeah we're gonna, we're gonna start excellent. writing uh writing um horror scripts i think that's that's the move <laughs> uh class conscious horror yeah this is what it's what we gotta it's what, it's what this is the next phase in horrors 
mm-hmm. talking about class inequality. I think it's coming because I feel like movies are getting more class conscious. Than yeah, they I think felt so. like they were ten years ago. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, Parasite, Knives Out, like Knives I don't Out. Know. Even the even the uh, uh, trial of the Chicago Seven. I mean, like mm-hmm. I know that people were not very happy about how they portrayed Abby Hoffman because I know Abby Hoffman was like way more anti-government than like they made him out it, to be. It got Sorkinified for sure. Yeah. But it's still, yeah. like, it, the fact that Sorkin felt the need to write, like, make a movie about the Black Panthers maybe suggests something culturally yeah. occurring. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we're not there yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, we're what not... do you think is, like, a like a very, you know, a movie that I think, like, people can universally agree is very, you know, it, it hasn't been, like, as Hollywoodified yet, mm. if you know what I mean, like, you know. Well, you know, like being like, well, you know, we have this bad system, but like, it's not like it can't not be fixed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why that's why Parasite was so good to me. I don't know. It didn't feel like it had any of those pitfalls. It, it felt like it was really explicit about what it was doing. Yeah, I, I think Parasite is definitely the gold standard. Yeah. Yeah, I think Knives Out did a pretty good job of it, too, uh, for the most part. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we'll see more class movies, like class conscious movies. I just think I, I'm kind of pessimistic also that maybe they'll be class conscious, but they'll do kind of that Hollywood thing you say where they're they're going to be like, yeah, you know, like like Joker kind of in a way where, you know, you sympathize with Joker. But then the movie's still kind of trying to frame it like, eh, but he probably shouldn't have done that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like the Joker also became like sort of a symbol of rebellion. Like last year. Mm-hmm. Like, remember the Chilean riots? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, oh man, I, I'm trying to remember who it was who was talking about this on Twitter. It was really interesting. Uh, where they, they were like, any movie that has symbols of resistance but does not clearly establish what that resistance stands for, that symbol will become meaningless and just be used by contradictory groups all the time. Yeah. So like the like the V for Vendetta mask, like you could see like Nazis wearing that. You could also see like yeah. libertarians wearing that. You could see left wingers doing something with it. Like, it's just kind of meaningless. It just means you don't like the established order. It's like a not many people do. <laughs> so. VLBC tradition, uh, you are supposed to give us a Patreon ad. Um, so that just means I stick some music under whatever you say, and it's like an advertisement for why you should, we should subscribe to the, to the VLVC Patreon. Subscribe to the VLVC Patreon, and you will get a free set of glow-in-the-dark vampire fangs <laughs> with no additional cost. God damn it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> awesome. 
All right. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing to lose money with this Patreon. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, straight up, I we've had this problem because uh, of like guests making like promises I can't keep. Um, but I I started the bit in the beginning and then it just has never stopped because I was like, yeah, I'll buy this book for you if you subs- you know subscribe to our Patreon. And there was like a good first few months that we always kept losing money on our Patreon because I would end up having to buy a book. And it'd be like a $10 book, but they subscribed at the $5 tier. Uh, we're a bad business. Um, let's see. Do, let, I should double check our Patreon real quick. If we have any new any new patrons that I need to acknowledge. Uh, nope. I think everybody's everybody's caught up. So what? Okay. So, if you know, if you do subscribe to the patron, Patreon, of course, uh, at the $10 tier, we will make fun of you on the show for four episodes. <laughs> However, <laughs> nobody's subscribing right now, so you oh, know, no. we're lacking in content. Yeah. Oh no! I think everyone misses Jared. I think that's it. you know, and I do too. But <laughs> we all miss Jared. I mean, I've never met Jared, but I miss him. Yeah. He's, he's, he seems nice. <laughs> he seems nice. His absence is felt, even by I, who have never <laughs> met him. Yeah, I think he, he was a call moderating voice, you know, he's he's less left wing than I am and stuff. So I could go right. on my rants and he'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's do the end segments now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, and unfortunately, because Jared's gone, we don't have the uh, the soundboard to announce the segment Twitter news. Uh, but there'd be music Twitter. right now. Now, would... but there's not like a what was that? No, what would be the Twitter news of this week? I mean, we had so many main characters. There's... I know, right? I'm trying to... I usually pull from the submissions that people give me on the VLVC Discord, but there hasn't been a lot lately. Mm. So I need to... I don't know. What's going on on Twitter? Can you think of a main character we should talk about? Let me let me, let me, me think about that. Uh, Jackal is giving me, like... Jackal has just posted a bunch of, like, furries doing right-wing rants <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> furries going right wing that, yeah that's more on youtube than it should be yeah oh i got in that fun fight with annie vaxxers <laughs> oh yeah you did okay you gotta, was, t- you gotta tell the people was, about that that was fucked up <laughs> dude the long-haired joker guy yeah, come on that never okay well that was the thing I, that was maybe the hardest i've laughed at a twitter fight i've gotten in in a while and and like because usually i think i just keep pushing it and i'm just like regretting it and i'm like why am i doing this to myself but the, right. he would just say the funniest fucking shit I just, like, it always like amazes me like the insane people that my friends find on twitter.com I, yeah and by friends i, I got I, <laughs> of course i mean you yeah it's just yeah just just yeah when you live <laughs> life by statistics you have to be miserable yeah i made that my twitter uh a banner. <laughs> I... <laughs> so okay, so how this started was uh, Eli Valley made a comic of Joe Rogan, and right. you know all all roads on this show apparently end up leading back to Eli Valley always. Um, always. <laughs> but you know, making fun of Eli Valley for um, or not making fun of Joe Rogan for saying that you don't need to you don't need to get vaccinated. Um, and then this guy posted two screenshots of headlines of somebody who has had like a stroke or a blood clot from the vaccine uh two right and then the second one he went shall i continue (laughs) and i thought that was really funny 
And I just replied like two cases and then shall I continue? That's hilarious. Because <laughs> Shall I the confidence of a Redditor in that sentence. Shall I continue? That's like the that's like the same energy as saying, yeah, didn't think so. <laughs> it really was. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, and especially like because what got everyone mad at me is I just, you know, I just know math um like mm-hmm. not well I, I mean i'm bad at math i just know basic fractions right um and so some some guy with has got a joker avatar starts fighting with me and he just keep he sent me a couple more like headlines and i'm like it has to be about a million people before i will like literally care because if you do the math, it's not because I don't, because he kept framing this like I didn't care about like people getting sick. I do care about people being sick. But six people having a heart attack out of the 200 million people that took the vaccine at the time, that that's there's no causation. You can't even establish causation. That could have just been ad hoc six people having a heart attack at the same time. Like, that's, <laughs> that's nothing. Um, and so he... Kept calling me a big pharma boot and, you know, licking the boots of Biv Pharma. Um, That's amazing. Oh. Yeah, I which like is it. funny because I'm not that way at all, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, he could have called you worse things, certainly. Yeah, well, someone called me a pedophile for, for no reason. Right! Right! I, I just saw that. <laughs> I'm just looking at the Mammonberg chat right now. I'm, I'm, you have 100% chance of being a pedophile. Why did you like yeah. did they say that because you were a absolutely Christian? owned? I guess I don't know. Well, thank you at Doge five seven eight two eight two five three. I'm yeah. sure that that if I, yeah, I'm sure that's not a Smurf account. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure you'll be surprised to hear, uh, listeners. The anti-vax community and the Nazi community are really close. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> my uh, my mentions were just because he got buddies in. Like I was getting ratioed. I I was not winning, but I was winning because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you were you were winning despite the fact like you were you know losing in yeah. numbers, but you were winning yeah. the war. I, yeah, I mean, like, that's but that's just a common Twitter Nazi tactic is that they will like DM each other and then like have their buddies come in to back each, each yeah. other up. You know, which, I mean, which to be to be fair, I do that all the time too. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's a leftist tactic too. <laughs> it's what we do. But the Nazis are just like they—they're way more insecure, so they do it as a at a more yeah. feverish rate. Um. So th- this is where it got funny. Was I quote tweeted him and said, uh, you know, oh man, I don't remember what he said, but he's like, I don't give a shit about your statistics, and I went like, our public f- education is a complete failure. <laughs> um. And he quotes who to be, he's like. Oh, yeah, you failed your public indoctrination, you know, rather than education. <laughs> and I replied to that with, yeah, indoctrinated into knowing fractions. Oh, my God. And I remember instead that. of getting a good singer in, he just goes, shut the fuck up. Which <laughs> <laughs> hands down the funniest response to that. Yeah. And there's like no singers there. That's just. Um, That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so it kept going, and he calls me a slave, and I don't know what to tell him anymore, so I just say fractions at him, and then he's like, people's lives, and then I ask, like, hey, do you drive a car? Because I was going to do the whole (laughs) spiel of, like, you have a higher likelihood of getting in a car accident, and instead of of replying to that, he goes, dude, fuck off with your statistics, you deranged nutcase. (laughs) I can't believe these are real people. That's the, I know. That's because that's the thing that's is, what I was it getting... sounds me. But that so these like, are real people. 
Okay, so so one of my friends, like mom, one time went into uh, a gas station in like the deep south, um, like small town deep south, and she asked for dry ice. She was wondering if there was dry ice in the no, it was a store, not a gas station, and nobody in the store had heard of dry ice, and it became this weird <laughs> public spectacle where everyone was laughing at her, like, how the fuck can you know ice be dry? That's crazy. But she's like, right, like there's a thing called dry ice and it exists. But she's like getting ratioed in real life for a just basic fact that's true. That's how I felt through this whole conversation. Because I would just be like, hey, here's basic math I just did. And then everyone would be like, ah, the big math guy over here. (laughs) Living his life by statistics. (laughs) Oh, God, that's amazing. So that's what happened with that. That was... Yeah. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, Carolyn Calloway is in talks with HBO to produce a limited series based on the life of Cambodian dictator Pol Pot. Right, but why? That's the- I don't know. That's all it says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty. Twi- so- good. No, that's just pretty amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe she's just still kicking. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like this time last year that she like, I don't know got everyone's attention for the nude thing and stuff and she just keeps like needing to be in everyone's attention it seems like yeah she likes being the main character she's yet good at it yeah uh oh jd vance jd vance was in the in twitter news too oh that's true yeah his whole um saying universal daycare is class war against normal people yeah that's pretty insidious if you think about it it's pretty insidious and also really funny that fucking Yale grad that wrote a book about how much he hates his mom is thinking he can be the spokesperson for normal people. Oh man, that's wow. But that's like a, you know, a common theme among these conservative commentators too is they think they can speak for normal people. Speak for the average people. Yeah. It's a moral majority stuff. I mean, to be fair, there's definitely a lot of really online leftists that think they're speaking for like the proletariat. And they just like have a private school education or something, you know. I, right. I guess that can go both ways. But JD Vance feels especially egregious because he'll see things that genuinely help people and be like, "Oh no, fuck that!" Right? It's just screwed up. Screwed up. It's screwed up. <laughs> well, uh, I think this has been Twitter news. Yeah, uh, it's been Twitter news. Da da da. Uh, which brings us to the kind of like wrapping up kind of thing here, which is plugs. So. You know, plug your your Twitter handle or where people could find you. And then also, like anything, like a book or media or something you've been consuming that you would like to recommend if you have that in mind. So, um, Yeah. So thank you for having me on the show, Josiah. Yeah, a lot it's of been fun. fun. Uh, people can follow me at Finchawar. And uh, if you guys have the chance, uh, go and listen to Josiah and I's other podcast, Mammonberg. Oh. It's a fun time. Uh, sponsored by Buffalo Wild Hands. So. <laughs> that's one of my that's my favorite bit. It's a good bit. It's such it's a good bit. <laughs> um yeah, uh watch many vampire movies. There's so many that I can't. So many vampire all. movies. Yeah. yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula is very good mm. and book accurate, except for the fact that Keanu Reeves can't do a British accent to save his life. But <laughs> pretty good so far. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. 
Well, um, yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what I sh- if I have anything to plug. I'm so brain dead from finals. I can't like think of media I've consumed. Oh, or or media I've consumed that it wouldn't just be weirdly redundant to like. Uh, you know, should I pr- plug The Sopranos? Uh, you guys check this this <laughs> show out. I just found about uh, Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> There's a show, good. it's called The Sopranos, you know. <laughs> They're all Italian. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really... New Jersey, yeah. It's, a, it's really just a big fill bit, actually, but... <laughs> <laughs> Those, we're actually just all looking, we're just looking at Phil's grandparents, to be honest with you. I don't know if all the... All his the... family. Those those episodes of him doing the Italian bits haven't come out yet, I don't think, which is a bummer, because those are the best. Yeah. Hopefully, a, hopefully soon. Fuck, what was that? What was that on the... I sent it to the Mammonberg chat. There was that Twitter account I found that was like just a giant fill bit. It was so funny. <laughs> Where was it? Oh, man. Because it was like... A, it was, I'm blanking on which character from Sopranos, but it was them commenting on recent events. Oh, my God. It was so funny. It's in there because I remember you posting it. Yes, I remember distinctly. (laughs) God damn it. There we go. Uh, It's Christopher Moltisanti weighs it on current events. It's like, one of them is like, it's called a non-fuckable token. They're worth so much (laughs) money because they're made of computers. (laughs) (laughs) So you should follow, and all everyone should follow that account. It's great. (laughs) 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 Go fi- yes, go uh, go <laughs> follow Phil the account, and go follow Phil's account. You should at Cryptid Director oh. and at Jackal Jester, our other lovely co-host. Yeah, God, <laughs> if if the tree hugger got their way, they'll ration beef like they did over in the Soviet <laughs> Union. It's like how Hitler was a vegetarian, one burger a month, <laughs> natural socialism. <laughs> That's really good. Holy shit. Oh man. Speaking okay, so looking at the Mammonbird chat, I want I want a Phil bit to be him reading Kierkegaard quotes in an Italian accent. That's Oh, that's I need that. I we need to do that now. <laughs> we'll force him to do that. Yes. If 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 uh if he does that, I'll 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 read some Ayn Rand voices in like some Russian voice. <laughs> well, uh I should probably close out here officially. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for listening to Very Legal, Very Cool, uh, an episode about making monsters scary again. Yeah, the theme music is a garage band, uh, a garage band loop that I stuck a drum beat behind, and you can follow us at Legal V Cool Pod on Twitter, or a bunch of other stuff that you can find in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening.